As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. We are now just a week away from the NFL Draft. So we bring in the big guns. Fresh off his first full season covering the Sabres, our friend Matthew Fairburn coming back, no doubt to celebrate in the fact that Blaine Gabbert has returned home to Missouri. Um, Matthew Fairburn, welcome back to the Buffalo Beat for, for a little bit. Big week in the AFC. There's no doubt about that. You know, I, I think if the Bills didn't already have urgency going into this draft, seeing that that the arms race is on and the Chiefs have added Blaine Gabbert to a Super Bowl team, it has to put a little extra pep in, in the Bills' step heading into this draft. If you had to pigeonhole the uh, the quarterback competition between Pat Mahomes and Blaine Gabbert, what, what would you say, like, 50-50, 60-40, what are you thinking here? You got to think. It's somewhere in 50-50. I, you know, it's going to be a big storyline in Kansas City, I'm sure, throughout the spring and summer, how Pat Mahomes is feeling about this this new competition and, uh, you know, how it's going to push him to get better. But, man, this we've talked about it before, but Blaine Gabbert's ability to survive in this league and find just the cushiest of landing spots, uh, there's nobody better. Yeah, it's it's unparalleled, unparalleled, honestly. But uh, but yeah, I wanted to wanted to get you back um, because the draft is obviously a huge deal here, and you know, Sabers are done now. You just got done with uh, end of season press conference. Um, sure, probably you're uh, trying to get a little uh, hold on what's what's going on from a football perspective too. Even though you know, I know you know what's going on, but like. In general, it's it's a lot different when you're covering a different team and a different sport completely. So, I guess when uh, first of all, how how the how the hockey season go for you, and and then maybe we'll we'll kick it back into uh, kick it back into football gear here. Yeah, it was a fun hockey season. Uh, the Sabers were certainly an interesting team on the ice. They they made it all the way till game eighty before getting eliminated, which is uh, a different 
a different thing around here for the hockey team. And that made it interesting that they're in that, you know, window of their their build where you have all this young rising talent and storylines all over the place. Uh, I feel a little bit spoiled that, that John Vogel went through multiple decades of, uh, of or really more so the last decade plus of really lousy hockey and no mm-hmm. direction with the franchise and then sort of walk in clean slate as they're uh, as they're starting to take steps forward. So it'll be a, an interesting offseason no doubt for them as they they figure out, you know, who needs to be added to this young core, but loved being loved being at the rink and uh, you know, seeing what this this team was all about and certainly the the hockey readers in in western New York did not disappoint. So uh, already looking forward to what should be a busy off season, and yeah, you know, it made it so that I basically missed the big chunk of the football off season. That is kind of, you know, free agency can be fun. It wasn't all that mm. sizzly for the Bills this year, but then you're right. At, hockey season ends, and you're right at the draft for football. Mm-hmm. And so I missed all the uh, the build up, the preamble, the clearing of the throat uh, that is pre draft coverage, and just stumbled out right onto the draft's doorstep. It's actually great that uh, that it's kind of set up for you that way because, you know, we collectively, you know, my myself from a writing and podcasting perspective, and I'm sure listeners and readers have just been totally zoomed in on like every single micro possibility. And, and that's part of the fun too because – it's why the draft is one of the most uh, intriguing events every single year. Um, just just all the possibilities. Everyone, most every fan out there is optimistic about their team's chances of getting better. It's it's one of the most uh, most direct ways to finding the next superstar on a on a pretty cheap budget. So having you kind of jump back in when when you when you do is interesting because I'm I'm curious about your zoomed out perspective on on what you think is going on with the Bills, what they need, kind of open-ended um, because there's been so much talk about do they need to replace Tremaine Edmonds? Do they need to add more to the offense? Do they do they need to protect Josh Allen more? It's it's all kind of circled around those few entities right there and and some other stuff. But when you are looking at the draft above all else from a Bills perspective, what's the first thing that kind of kicks into Matthew Fairburn's brain? Well, like you mentioned, this is the best way to add cheap talent to your roster in the NFL. And the Bills are in a window where they need as much cheap talent as they can get because that quarterback contract has gone up. Uh, Josh Allen has earned the big number. He's played up to the big number, and now you have to build your roster differently and make tougher decisions because of that. Not everybody can get that huge contract, hence Tremaine Edmonds leaving and and some of those tough decisions that need to be made. And so I think each draft takes on you know even more critical importance for the Bills uh, because once you have your quarterback, uh, you know, look at some of the teams that have been able to sustain it year after year. It's the teams that 
can hit on some cheap talent late in the first round because that's the other part. When you get to be good, you're not picking high. And so it's a little bit more difficult to nail these picks every year. So I think they do have, you know, they're going to be set up to compete for a long time, but they also are in an interesting spot because there are a few different spots where actions are going to speak louder than words on how they feel about certain positions on their roster. Uh, wide receiver would be one. You know, how do they feel about Gabe Davis? Probably find out based on, you know, what they do in the draft. You know, how do they feel about making a long-term commitment to Ed Oliver? Well, let's see what they do uh, at defensive tackle this year early in the draft. And you could probably extend that to the linebackers. I think you could say the same thing about the offensive line. I know they've said some some nice things about Spencer Brown, but uh, he's entering kind of a, a prove-it type of season. So that's where uh, I'm most interested to, to track what they do in the draft. Uh, it's definitely less so this year for me about the specific players, uh, just for me personally, not you know, being as in the weeds on which guys are good or which guys fit this and that, but seeing sort of their big picture philosophy in terms of building their roster and where they see some of the weak points, because yes, they're going to take the best player available. That's Brandon Bean's favorite line, but they're also going to be targeting positions of need. Every team does. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they're going, it, it tells you something about roster building strategy and philosophy when you see the actions uh, of teams on draft weekend, what they value early in the draft. And this is a bit more of a wide open year, I think, than the last few, because there's a few different positions that, that could be classified as needs. Uh, and that makes it just a, a little bit more interesting to follow on draft weekend. I am really interested above all else in terms of, their strategy of how to keep the window open because since Josh Allen was picked and this is something that I'm sure many of you have realized but if you not if you have not the Bills have not selected an offensive player since Josh Allen the Bills have not selected under Sean McDermott or Brandon Bean an offensive player outside of Josh Allen it has been him and that's it and then they've just basically been I guess you can you can argue in the that first Stephon, round right in yeah. the first round yes and you can argue that Stefan Diggs was that, but you also don't get the benefit of a rookie cost-controlled contract for trading away uh, your first-round pick to get him. So they've just been kind of figuring it out as they've gone along. Like Dawson Knox has been a hit for them. Deion Dawkins was a hit in their first draft as a, as a second-round pick. Um, Mitch Morse was a free agent signing. You look down... the down the rest like Spencer Brown was a third round guy Gabe Davis was a fourth round guy there hasn't been really like a a massive investment honestly since since Dawkins and Allen in, in the offense and when you compare that to how some of the other teams are going about their business specifically in the AFC you do want to maintain your personality and what you want to be but that said they have dumped a lot of resources into the defensive side of things and they continue to kind of have to get into to shootouts here um, and to out-offense the other team because when it 
it gets down to it in the playoffs, like best quarterback and best offense usually has a pretty good shot at this thing. So I do wonder if maybe they look at this as an opportunity to shift that philosophy a little bit and go more towards the offensive side. But if they go back to defense and and draft a linebacker once again, or draft a linebacker to replace Tremaine Edmonds just to kind of keep the wheel going here, or draft a defensive tackle because all their guys are going to be on expirings um, in, in 2023, then we'll know that it's it's them sticking to their philosophy. So I, I'm I'm very intrigued by by this first round decision. I don't know if it has to be like this this uh, flag in the ground saying, all right, now they're going to go totally on offense or totally on defense because it is the 27th pick. So I don't want to go too overboard here. But I do think it's it's their most legitimate uh, resource of adding someone this offseason. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what they do with it. And even beyond round one, you've got, you know, those top three round picks are really your premium selections that, that signal what you value. And they've spent – three of those since 2019 on running backs right and two of them aren't on the roster Uh, anymore i forgot about james cook in my second round rundown but they also traded back to get james cook which is which wasn't like the greatest sign of intent but anyway so they've got you know they had singletary then moss and now cook two of those guys are gone and you could argue running back is sort of a need again and so it really just underscores too beyond just philosophy, what they value, what their needs are, the ability to draft and develop talent. Because what you pointed out about the offense is true. And I would say that at wide receivers specifically, I think one of their shortcomings has been the ability to some combination of identify and develop talent through the draft at that position. Because I, it seemed like last year heading into the season, the conversation that we were having was about how much talent they had on offense, even two years ago uh, at wide receiver and where everybody was going to fit in and how it was all going to work. And yet we're sitting here before the draft wondering if maybe that's the way they need to go again, right? Like mm-hmm. Gabriel Davis hasn't quite material materialized as the difference maker that people thought he could become last year. There's still certainly a chance for him to become that player, but uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a, a given by any by any means. And so you, it's been Stefan Diggs and everybody else. And that dynamic certainly works uh, as long as Stefan Diggs is prime Stefan Diggs. But in order to keep Josh Allen, uh, you know, clicking at at the rate that he's been you need to keep refilling the cupboard a little bit the way that the chiefs have done with patrick mahomes uh but you know they're able to get rid of tyreek hill and still you know find some pieces to fill things in travis kelsey's obviously a big part of that so dawson Mm -hmm. knox you know factors into this equation i think they've done a, a a nice job you know developing him as a player from where he was when he started but it's it's just interesting because they have not really invested high, high picks in that spot. And it seems every year when I read Dane Brugler and other draft experts, 
this year there's it looks like more than 10 wide receivers in Dane Brugler's top 100. So that's been the case pretty consistently. Like the wide receiver talent coming into the NFL has not been uh, it's not been lacking over the last few drafts, and it doesn't seem like the Bills have been keen on taking advantage of that. And I think this does feel like a good time to do it, both in terms of where they are with their roster. Uh, I think Stephon Diggs still has some good years left in him, but it's never a bad thing to take some of the load off a guy like that because he catches a lot of footballs and and takes on a big chunk of the workload at wide receiver. And until you get somebody else to step up, I think, you know, continuing to search for a, a young player, we see players at that position in particular come in and be difference makers quickly uh, and almost staggeringly so over the last handful of years, how quickly some of these guys come in and make immediate impact. So mm-hmm. the idea that the draft always needs to be about two, three years down the road and you're mapping out your long-term needs, when you're in this type of window, I, I think finding those those immediate impacts, especially in the first round, is a is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And and you look some of the look at some of the advanced stats from from last year from what the Bills had at receiver. I mean, one of one of a one of, one great way to look at it is, in my estimation, just because I believe that targets represent talent. Sometimes it 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 does it less so, or sometimes it's not like the it's not the perfect thing by any means. But if you are getting targeted, that means you are getting open, and that that means the uh, the quarterback is beginning to trust you and and everything along those lines. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So one of the one of the measurements I usually look at is yards per route run, with which is a big fantasy football stat too. But it's also a good way to kind of gauge okay who is who is doing what and where, and the that plus uh, target percentage is also pretty uh, pretty telling from a receiver perspective. And last year it was basically Stefan Diggs and no one else uh, in their 16 or 17, I'm sorry, 16 regular season games. Uh, Stefan Diggs had a yards per route run of 2.5, which is really good. And target per target percentage of almost 27%. Guys like Gabe Davis was more than a full yard less per, per route run and was targeted over 10% uh, 
over 10% of the time less than Stefan Diggs. And then I know a lot of people have high hopes for someone like Khalil Shakir, but his yards per route run is not great in terms of um, future success. His yards per route run was 1.14, and his targets uh, per route was at a 14.2% clip. So it's not as though like they have a couple of guys that are just ready to pop in their system. I think what they have are, are two... One guy who I think can be a solid number two, as long as you lower the expectations in Gabe Davis. I'm not sure what Khalil Shakir is. I think he's probably depth more than anything. But at the same same token, you know they they still have further development with him. There were, there were so many stretches last year where Shakir was getting a legitimate amount of run and just was not getting the targets to to really show that he was someone to lean into in this in this coming season like at least with Davis you saw flash huge flashes um, more repeatedly than you did with Shakir like Shakir would would pop for a, a big play every once in a while but you know it just it just wasn't wasn't there even with the time on the field so I, I think I'm I think I'm with you in the fact that receiver should be a legitimate um a legitimate option for them with that first round pick because the the book on this year's draft at receiver is that it kind of it doesn't really have the the biggest high-end talent guy but it does have some depth but there's also a point where it just drops off completely so I don't think it's it's something that you can continue to just push off push off push off and think about all the and, and I know you you watched from afar last year Matthew but think about every single week uh, down the stretch of the season when they were just struggling to get anything started on offense. Like, sure, by the end of the game, you, you could see yards, points, and this is something that Josh Allen alludes to all the time. But it just was never that consistent, um, overriding factor that teams were scared of. Like, they weren't scared Look of Look at Gabe the Davis. playoff game. Look right. The, I mean that you know Brandon Bean is always talking about your last game tells you who you are, right? You know, tells you what your problem is, and you know the game on which you get eliminated exposes your flaws. And the offense was a big part of that in that mm -hmm. game. Uh, maybe the the main part of it. Uh, you know, certainly the defense didn't help matters, but from where I just remember, you know. Like you said, I was mostly watching from afar last year, but I remember on our post-game shows early in the season thinking like, man, who's going to stop this offense? And then by the end of the year, you know, when I had popped back in uh, after the start of hockey season and jumping back in for the playoffs, it was like, man, who's going to get this offense going? Because, you know, it really, really cooled off and they were still finding ways to score points, but so heavily reliant on Stefan Diggs and his numbers down the stretch weren't great. They weren't consistent. You know, it was up and down. And once teams took him away, there wasn't a, a second option. And so there's probably layers to that. There's probably, a, you know, you could probably say that, you know, does Josh Allen need to find ways to incorporate all the other targets more consistently? Maybe. Is there something where defenses have adjusted to what Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs do and they need to get back on the same page about 
finding a, a counterpunch to that, probably. But I think the root of the issue and in the numbers that you pointed out, over that big of a sample size, you know, in one game, you could say, man, Josh was really locked in on Stefan Diggs that day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not really Shakira's fault that he wasn't targeted. Diggs was just feeling it. But over a big sample size, Josh Allen is a good enough quarterback that the guy who gets open is getting the ball. Like, Josh mm-hmm. Allen is not 2019, 2020 Josh Allen who's going to fixate on his favorite target because, you know, that's his safety blanket and his way out of trouble. He has become a quarterback who can pick apart a defense, read the whole field. And we. I think when he's at his best, that's what he's doing. And so if he does not trust the the options beyond a Stephon Diggs or a Dawson Knox, certainly he has faith in Gabriel Davis enough to put the ball up to him in some, uh, you know, less than 50-50 uh, chances because that's where Gabe Davis does well. And they, they connect on some deep balls uh, that – have been memorable over the last few seasons, but just the consistent rhythm that you noticed that he had when Cole Beasley was in his prime and a nice secondary option to keep defenses off balance. It's a real, it's a real element to this offense that I think needs to be addressed and they haven't made the attempt to address it. It was like they got Stefan Diggs and everything was, was copacetic for a little while and the investment in the top three rounds has not been there. And I think this is when it comes time for the draft and it comes time for off season additions and there's a self-awareness that needs to happen. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot with the Sabres heading into this off season where so many of the decisions depend on having an honest assessment of who's on your team and what the realistic jump that they could make. And that's as difficult and important when it comes to building your roster as it is, as is identifying who from the outside can help you. That's sometimes easier because you're a little bit more removed from a prospect in the draft or a free agent from the outside. You can look at it with a little bit more of a clear picture. When it's your own guy who you've picked and you've developed, you may have higher hopes. You know, I think about the Sabres goalie situation where they have these young guys and trusting them next year is a roll of the dice. You look up and down the Bills roster, you can say the same thing about Spencer Brown and and Gabriel Davis and and these linebackers where this guy's been in our system. We know him, we like him, and we have faith in this guy. Well, correctly evaluating those players is just as important as figuring out who to pick in the draft because – if you misidentify that Gabriel Davis or and Khalil Shakir are good enough and then they're not, well, you don't get to have a do-over. You don't get to sit there in October and be like, oh, we were wrong. Let's go get somebody else. You can use the trade deadline, I guess. But when it comes to the draft, your biggest window for adding to your roster for the long term, you've missed that window if you don't mm-hmm. identify pro- or uh, evaluate and identify your own talent properly. So that's where... It's my favorite thing about the draft is pe- teams tell you who they are. They, they tell you who they think they are, and they tell you what they want to be. And I'm curious what the answers are for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott heading into this season because that answer is always going to be evolving and changing. They have their tendencies. They have their, their, their types and 
their strategies and philosophies. But in the short term, who do you think you are and who do you think and who do you want to be? Because that's what you're going to be trying to do, whether it's a type of player or a certain position. And in a week, we will get those answers. You know, it's interesting. I, I went back and um, I, I went through um, Pro Football Focus's premium stats. And, you know, this is separate from the grades and everything like that. But when you look at Gabe Davis's first um, push into the starting lineup, one of one of his big... Uh, one of his big allies in his second season when he kind of broke out was how good of a contested catch player he was. And um, according to Pro Football Focus in 2021, he converted on 10 out of his 13 contested catch opportunities for a ridiculous 77% conversion rate on contested catch uh, chances. But in 2022, that number pretty much bottomed out. He only caught... Eight, uh, eight contested catch opportunities out of 26 for a percentage of 30. And I know that doesn't seem like like 30, you would still think is pretty good, but from an NFL perspective, for a bigger receiver, a bigger X receiver, not really that great. I mean, one one guy that does it maybe better than anybody else right now in the NFL is T. Higgins from, from Cincinnati, right? So last year, his contested catch rate was 57%. For his career, for, since his rookie season, 44%. So even if you take his career uh, figure as opposed to his third-year figure, that's still uh, nearly a thir- over a 13% uh, better percentage of, of winning contested catches from T. Higgins, and that, that makes a difference. So I'm not saying that they should go get a contested catch guy or anything like that, but these little, these little details matter in, in trying to inform yourself of Okay, why are you? Why would you potentially be looking at a receiver? And what is the future with Gabe Davis, uh, with the Bills in general? That's that's a piece of it. But then you also look at their actions at the end of last season, right? I mean, they tried to uncover every single possible stone to find an answer. They brought back John Brown. They brought back Cole Beasley. They flirted with bringing back Jamison Crowder from from uh, what should have been season-ending ankle uh, surgery. Uh, they 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 messed with Khalil Shakir in the lineup, and then Isaiah McKenzie a little bit more, and and you know all the all this other stuff. They flirted with the idea of bringing in Odell Beckham, but it, he wasn't healthy enough to play. It was very clearly a problem in their minds of not being able to have someone that can take pressure off of both Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen. And now we're sitting here. It's April twentieth. We're a week ahead of the draft, and the only thing that they've done is they re- they've removed Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, John Brown, Jameson Crowder from the situation, and they've added a couple of depth pieces in Deontay Hardy, who they have described as a number four, and Trent Sherfield, who's like a special teams guy, and maybe he chips in. But you know what they haven't done? They haven't gotten that piece to meld with Davis and Diggs. Maybe they, they can find someone that can unlock uh, what Davis can do more consistently because he has less pressure on him. Just the same thing with Diggs. Not saying a rookie's going to come in here and be like a 100% snap guy. I don't think that's that's in the offing. But all that said, there, there are legitimate reasons why having that player and not investing in it to this point 
kind of leads you to a conclusion that they should that they should probably do it and that they probably will at some point in the first few rounds. And Gabe Davis's contract is is definitely a good point to bring up too because regardless of the way he's played, his imperfections as a player, the wide receiver market in the NFL is pretty nice. It's pretty favorable for the receivers. Oh, sure. It's it's not yeah. bad. And I'm sure he's got an eye on that. And I'm sure his agent is looking and thinking that if he hits free agency that, you know, life would be pretty good. And when the Bills are in this spot of not being able to pay everybody and having to pick and choose, you know, you have to do you have to plan a little bit for the potential reality that he won't be in Buffalo long term. And then the other thing, I think, with contested catchability that's important is knowing and building around the type of quarterback that you have. And Josh Allen does like to trust his guys and and put guys in position to make plays. And if you're not doing it consistently enough, if 50-50 balls are now 30-70 balls, then... You know, that could lead to a decrease in targets and a decrease in trust. And you could argue that there's no more important factor. I would say the two most important factors, which are true of most quarterbacks, the types of guys you want either have to get open really fast or be able to be counted on in those situations, in contested situations. Josh's favorite guys over the years have been the types that get open really fast. Yeah, uh, separators, no you doubt. You know, and because I think, especially as he was developing, that was really a helpful thing for him to see and trust that guys were going to get open quickly. And so I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic of this because as he is now in a spot as a quarterback where this conversation has started to creep in about does he run too much? Does he need to take care of the football better? Uh, you know, does he need to adapt his playing style? Is he in the back of his mind thinking he needs to take get better care of the football? Hence, he would rather the guys that get open quickly? Or would it be if I'm going to put the ball in harm's way, I need a guy that can come down with more of those than some of the guys that are currently on the roster. I think he tends to lean towards the guys that get open quickly. And, you know, that seems to be just the way he processes things. And like I said, that's going to be true of most quarterbacks. I mean, who wants a guy that takes a long time to get open, right? Like that's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or doesn't win contested contested catches. But in terms of a type, he does seem to prefer the quicker guys. And so I think that's a... You know, drafting for your quarterback is is a pretty big deal. And it's true, too, when it comes to offensive line and what you want Josh Allen to be going forward. Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean talking about Josh Allen needing to, you know, protect himself more and not take off and take so many hits and all these things. Is that just sort of a, something they're saying to say it, to fill airtime and maybe distract, you know, get people talking about that instead of something else? Or is that something that they truly want to take action on? Are, there, are those just words, or do they really want him to play different? That's a challenging thing to do for a, 
a quarterback of Josh Allen's, you know, age, number one, ability, and, you know, his his preference, his sort of the, the way that he likes to play. If you want him to stand in the pocket more, you, you better do a much better job protecting him because the best thing that has happened to the Bills' offensive line over the last five years is Josh Allen and his ability to mm-hmm. escape and make them look good and break tackles in the pocket and turn pressure into 20-yard gains instead of a sack. And if you start getting into his head that he shouldn't be doing that as much, then you'd better have a pretty good focus on your offensive line. So drafting, not just with your quarterback in mind, big picture roster standpoint that you have this window, but drafting for his specific skill set, I think is another thing that they need to be thinking about as they move forward. And they have definitely gravitated towards separators, whether it be in free agency or the draft. I do find it interesting that Gabe Davis is a starter for them and he's not like a he's not a bad separator but he's also not a terrific one against against man coverage like he can do it but if you're not the greatest separator and your contested catch rate is probably closer to 30 than it is to the 77 you posted uh, as you're in your second season it it makes me wonder what the long-term outlook is on him because if if you're not doing one or the other then what what service are you providing so that's why this year is is a big year he needs to and and you can make an argument that his ankle that the ankle injury that he suffered early on in the season bogged him down the rest of the year I could see that uh I could see that a little bit but at the same token he still played every single week he was not on the injury report by the time the season was was over. So if it was a huge issue, then he should have missed more time. He he wanted to force himself back onto the field and might have been, might it have been to their detriment possibly. But that doesn't remove the fact that they didn't get enough out out from him and that there was some inconsistency. He's is he a, a really good run blocker? Yes. Did it wane a little bit last year? Absolutely it did. It was not as good as 2021, but he's still probably their best run blocking wide receiver, which is why he continues to have the role. The the catch percentages, the um the target percentage, the um yards per route run, those all dipped by a lot in in his first year of full-time starting. And of course, like the Chiefs' performance in the playoffs, unsustainable. We all know that. But just his overall output in as a bit player in the 2021 offense showed the picture of a much different receiver than what they got in, in 2022. So all that said, when you combine that along with Davis being a free agent, Diggs being very close to 30 years old, it almost feels like, and with a with a, a gaping absence within their top three, or at least someone to at least compete with Shakir and, and Hardy for those spots, someone more, um, I guess, uh, sustainable or significant, I, I guess, then it almost leads you to, yeah, they, they've got a bit of an issue on their hands here, and... I, I, it's continuing 
And I've been kind of feeling this way over the last couple of weeks after you go through like, oh, are they going to take a linebacker? Is Jack Campbell going to be a good fit for them at 27? And defensive tackle might do it. Maybe a safety. I just keep coming back to receiver and this line of thinking like it, what it felt like at the end of last year, it just was not good enough. And they were not able to move the ball consistently. They were not able to be this, this overwhelming passing attack that they had been known to be in 2020 and 2021. And I'm not sure a, a first round pick or a second round pick is going to change all that, but it's, a, it's at least doing something to put a, a different mix into your receiver room outside of Deontay Hardy and Khalil Shakir. I think your first round pick has a real chance to come in and contribute right away. And maybe that, you know, you mentioned Gabe Davis's injury. It's possible that coming back, you know, fully healthy will be a huge difference maker. That's also yeah. potentially true of Josh Allen. You know, uh, how much pain he might have been playing through at the end of the year. He wasn't quite yeah, as sharp. Too. So there can be improvement from within, and they have certainly thrown some darts at some depth receivers that could maybe, you know, contribute and be a better mix than what they had last year. But there's no denying the fact that look around the league, you can get a difference maker in the first or second round at receiver, sometimes even beyond that. But mm -hmm. the probability is pretty good in the first couple of rounds. And so it also happens to be a pretty decent value spot for receiver if you know you look at how Dane Brugler has the draft slotted, which I, I would say is probably the closest forecast to what you know a lot of NFL teams are, are probably looking at. Now it can get weird on draft night. you know the receivers have been overvalued uh, in in recent drafts and so they might come off the board a lot sooner. The bills don't need to lock themselves into something like that, but it, it it's a great spot to get somebody who can come in and and really contribute quickly if you allow them the runway to do it. And mm -hmm. they don't always do that, as we saw with James Cook last year. But when that you know, if you're willing to do it with a receiver, I think you can get a pretty good return on your investment sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I think there's a, a, another way to kind of slice this if we're just going to go totally down the receiver rabbit hole here is if they wanted to land let's say one of these one of these top 3 guys um, i think the way that things have been trending and you never quite know with with mock drafts but the way things have been trending is that the first receiver is going off the board a little bit into the double digits or Right at, right at the teens. But there's also been the possibilities of, of teams kind of punting on the position and going elsewhere. And maybe that run uh, for receivers begins in the late teens or at 20 because Seattle has a need there. And I bring up 20 specifically because that is right in the range where Brandon Bean uh, on Tuesday talked about, okay, that's – that's probably when we'll we'll start to like concoct a plan here, and because they don't have a lot of draft capital this year, they have six picks total. Um, not exactly great picks, late late round in every single round except for the fifth round. They have an early fifth round pick, but it's not the full bank that Brandon Bean has had to deal with 
in the past. And then you look at what is right in front of them in terms of needs. Seahawks could use a receiver. The Chargers at 21 could use a receiver. The Ravens at 22 could use a receiver. Uh, I guess the Jaguars could. I'm skeptical. But the other big one is the Giants at 25 could really use a receiver. And we know Bean is a little uh, little uh, antsy when, when in, terms of, in terms of getting his guy. And even he said, you know, if it's more likely that they stay put or move down than, than it is to move up. But if he can get ahead of this run of the receiver, and let's say the first receiver is still on the board at 20, or maybe the first one goes at 20, I don't know, I'm, I'm not ruling out any anything there to, to get their guy if they believe he's a first-round pick. But then there's also the other notion of being saying that it's not great of how many first rounders there are. And if they would actually want to move a, move a pick of theirs to go up and get a guy that they don't have a first round grade on. It's kind of a give and take here. Yeah. They're certainly not flush with assets to be moving up the board, but when you are a contender, when you are a team with realistic Super Bowl aspirations, I think your temp, the temptation can creep in to think, this one guy will fix it. And that's probably not the healthiest attitude to have, but Mm -hmm. we've seen Brandon Bean go after guys before. So 27 is a long time to sit around and wait on Thursday night, as we know. And that could factor in, but it also does seem like a pretty good sweet spot in the draft for receivers that if you wanted to move back, you might end up, with a a similar caliber player and an extra pick that they could probably use. So Brandon Bean said that he was, you know, if he was a betting man, he would say he's more likely to move back than move up. But then right after that said, well, I do like to move up. So Vegas probably (laughs) would like me to, (laughs) Vegas would probably take the other side on that one. So So I mean, basically stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. Basically who the hell knows. And I think that is, very much a good operating philosophy to have with Brandon Bean when it comes to the draft is who the hell knows because he will, you know, target a guy if if he if he sees fit. And again, that's where your actions tell you about who these teams think they are and and who they want to become because there are other positions they could address, obviously. You know, like mm-hmm. linebacker you mentioned. We've talked about offensive line. Safety is a a long-term need, I would say, uh, potentially, depending on how things shake out. I don't know if it's a a first-round level need, but maybe. Uh, And so they don't have to pigeonhole themselves into offense or into a wide receiver. But as we've laid out, I do think there's a pretty strong case to be made for the position based on where they are. Mm -hmm. And. I don't know that they should necessarily be scared by the fact that there isn't a a top end guy on on the receiver draft prospect list this year. A lot of these dudes can still play, and I spent one of these episodes going through a lot of the names and and how they would potentially fit in with with what the Bills are trying to do. But I think there should be a guy 
at 27 or available in the 20s. Like, even if you do a micro move up, like, let's say the Vikings only have five picks this year. If you go to the Vikings and say, all right, here's our third. Give us your, I don't know, sixth back. I think that's something they would probably consider. Same thing with the Jaguars. You you basically, while Joe Shane is is one of Brandon Bean's good buddies, he might be his worst enemy to get a receiver if if that's what they are truly targeting on on draft night. So that's that's kind of something to keep an eye on. But even if they were to stick, even if like it would have to be for a player so overwhelming that that um, they they just felt like that they couldn't find a better one at, at 27. I also think there's the potential that things could get weird at receiver on draft night. Like I know a lot of people have have the the certain list of things. I I do think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is probably going first, but if you sat here and told me that Jalen Hyatt was the second receiver off the board, I'd be like, I believe it. If you told me Quentin Johnston was the second one off, I'm like, yep, yeah, sure. I, I I could absolutely see that. Same thing with Jordan Addison. Same thing with Zay Flowers. Um, probably less so Josh Downs from North Carolina. He, he feels like more of a, a second round guy, but it, it, I, I think the, the order that these guys could go is totally up in the air. And what the Bills might value is different than what the Chargers might value, than what the Ravens might value, and what the Giants might value. And there's other teams that, that need some too, but be it as it may. They should be able to get one. But if all else fails, I do think there there is a couple of names uh, that that uh, they could be intrigued by in round two so that it wouldn't be like feel like a total loss, but... I don't know. The the closer we get, the more I'm leaning towards receiver with that first round pick. And I understand the need at linebacker. I understand that they don't have anyone signed at, at defensive tackle. I just go back to what hurt them the most at the end of the season. And while it it's it was noticeable when Tremaine Edmonds wasn't on the field on the times he was injured, it wasn't uh you're not getting Tremaine Edmonds to walk through the door with a first round pick. Same thing with, like, you're not getting an all-star receiver to to walk through the door, but you're getting someone that can take pressure off of everyone else. And what is truly most important? Is it maximizing this offense with your franchise quarterback? Or is it to depending on him to overextend a lot of these guys that that they have just kind of gotten by with and just slight investments, not heavy investments outside of Stefan Diggs and maybe Dawson Knox here. Can you continue depend to depend on your quarterback to do all that and then hope all of the assets you've thrown on the defensive side will be enough to make up the difference and slow down the other team? Hasn't worked so far. And that's that's where they really have to come down on this thing. I think too with linebacker that feels like a position that you can address a little bit later. And in terms of the quality of asset that you are investing there, I think you're, you'd rather use that value on a more premium position than inside linebacker, especially since they've been developing a few players. They do have Matt Milano. Like, they're not in dire straits uh, 
just because Tremaine Edmonds is gone, frankly, there's a lot of people that were ragging on Tremaine Edmonds the entire time he was here. And so, you know, and so I think you can address that later if you need to. And not that you can't do that with the receiver, but they've tried that at receiver and Mm -hmm. it hasn't necessarily been working. And I think more and more your top end athletes at that position are just gone by the time, you know, finding value is, is harder and harder at receiver just because the, the volume of players that are coming off the board early in these drafts. So if I had to choose one of those positions, the linebacker would have to be so much better than the receiver for me mm-hmm. to to consider a linebacker in the first round. I'd be more likely, more inclined to consider something on the offensive line, something that makes your quarterback better, something that empowers Josh Allen to take even another step because I don't think there's any reason to think he can't take another step mm-hmm. and and continue to get better. So we've seen it, you know, around the league at these quarterbacks just pushing the envelope year after year. And so I do lean wide receiver, which is maybe just the uh the zoomed out, you know, view of the draft, pop in and, you know, look at the exciting position and and jump right into it there, but it just kind of feels like the sweet spot in the draft to get one. And it also feels like the timing is right for these guys. And so we'll see what they do. But when I think about the other positions, it just feels like I'm talking myself into the idea. Whereas receiver, there's just a lot of reasons it seems to make sense. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, like, like you mentioned, linebacker, defensive tackle, safety, offensive tackle. Like, like you can you can work yourself into that into that spot. Even you can even throw tight end in there because this is a good tight end class. But it all comes back to where can this player and what player can walk in and 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 have a potentially substantial role, not like a crazy role, but you know, fifty percent plus. I think is is fair to expect from from a first round player. And someone that can develop into a fine asset for the long term that at a position where you sorely need one and receiver just kind of ticks all those boxes right away. Um, but yeah, I I still have some more pondering to do before I, I hit um, my final mock draft next week, my final Bills only mock draft next week. But I'm probably leaning towards receiver, and now I have to figure out which one of these guys that I like best for him. And I'm I'm actually surprised we haven't uh, we haven't delved too far deep into the prospects. But I guess that's what next week is for, Matthew Fairburn. I have not, and if I I don't think I will, unless maybe we do one on this show. But I have not done a mock draft, and if that holds for the next week, I think it. It'll probably be the first time since I was in high school that I didn't do a mock <laughs> draft. So, well, the hockey off season's coming, my friend. So the hockey <laughs> a hockey mock draft could be in the offing here, uh, but as far as the NFL draft, I can't even because there was definitely times in high school where I was probably doing them on my own. Mm-hmm. So who knows how how far back. Uh, which makes for an interesting uh, 
interesting fresh perspective heading into the draft kind of a lot more unknown for me than than usual so it's kind of fun yeah absolutely and uh if you couldn't tell uh mr fairburn will be joining again us again next week the week of the draft we'll record that in the middle of the week so that way you have it in your hands before the the draft gets here on thursday evening of next week and yeah we'll we'll do a little prospect association you know maybe dice up who could be of interest to the bills uh, i still have some some of my uh fine tuning of the research that needs to be done but uh but yeah, I think I think that'll be a good base for everybody heading into the um, heading into the 2023 NFL draft. Look at you just getting right back on, right right back on the horse here and and killing it. Just when I thought I was going to avoid the NFL draft entirely, you pulled me back in, and here I am. That's as, what we do. As sucked in as ever. Now I'm, <laughs> now I'm invested. Well, I mean it. Uh, it does have that gravitational pull, um, and I know you did it growing up. I I did the same growing up with with the mock drafting, and it's a it's a tough habit to kick, um, especially just like the draft in general because it's just fun. There's there's so many different outcomes. It's just fun, and it's possible that the way the Sabers are talking, I won't be around for the draft next spring. So you know, mm. gotta gotta fit it in now. Uh, because if the Sabres go on a run, that, that cuts right into NFL draft season. So yeah, take advantage of, you know, got to take advantage of the availability here because uh, they seem to be uh, the way the players are talking. That's it. No more missing the playoffs. No more, mm. no more booking, uh, booking vacations in late April and early May for me, I guess. Got to get your kicks in now. That's for sure. All right. Mr. Fairburn, thanks so much for for jumping on this uh, this edition of the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you all next week when there's only days to go before the NFL draft begins. For Matthew Fairburn, I'm Joe Viscalia. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and we will talk to you next week. See you then.